From Mew Mew HQ in Milan, this is Mew Mew Musings, a co-production between Mew Mew Podcasts, Penny Martin, and In Talks With Productions. I'm Penny Martin. Welcome to Mew Mew Musings. The Italian fashion house Mew Mew has been championing female creativity and conversation over the past decade through international talks programmes and panel discussions. Now it's addressing the growing demand for expert opinion and real-world togetherness via a series of debates called the Mew Mew Musings. These are structured around friendly lunches to tackle timely topics related to modern forms of resistance. The first lunch was staged in June 2019 at Spring Restaurant in London, where the debate's motion was, This house believes it's time to break up with our phones. As speaker, I asked the writer Lauren Collins to present in favour of the motion. Thank you so much for the introduction, Penny. Thank you um, to everyone from Mew Mew, and thank you all for being here. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to persuade you that it's time to break up with our phones. Um, I want to start there by saying that I think breaking up with our phones is not exactly the right metaphor, with all due respect to Penny. Um, (laughs) Breaking up with your phone presupposes an effective relationship built on mutual attraction which is the wrong metaphorical framework. I'm here to tell you, your phone never loved you. Um, Smartphones, we can agree, have some major upsides. They're convenient, they're fun, they allow us to gossip on the tube, to track our periods, to shop for Italian fashion in the bathtub at midnight. Um, But more importantly, and perhaps more ominously, they're indispensable. The British government, for example, is requiring the 3.7 million European citizens who live in this country um, to manage their immigration status with an app called ID Document Check. And get this, it doesn't work on iPhones. So if you don't have an iPhone, you have to borrow an Android phone from someone you know, um, which leads us into a bunch of kind of polygamy metaphors (laughs) that would probably be better to avoid here if we're talking about phones and breakups. Um, but the point is, at this, phone, at this point, you couldn't break up with your smartphone if you wanted to. So this isn't about breaking up with your smartphone. The correct metaphor is more like learning how to handle your abusive boss. Let's start with the obvious. Phones are a huge time suck. Did you know that according to Ofcom, the average British adult spends 24 hours a week on his or her smartphone? And that's 24 hours if you don't sleep, the equivalent of a full day. According, on the other hand, to the United States State Department, it takes approximately 500 hours to learn a language like French. So, stop refreshing Instagram and start conjugating your verbs and you're fluent by mid-July without your (laughs) smartphone. (laughs) The reason we're spending so much time on our phones is, of course, because they're designed to addict us. Sean Parker of Facebook recently admitted, and I quote, that Facebook was designed to exploit a vulnerability in human psychology, speeding up our dopamine feedback loops to the extent that when we can't find our phone for half a second, we're rummaging around in the bottom of our purses or in our pockets and feeling actual anxiety, feel like you can't breathe when you can't find your phone. 
It was designed that way. If your phone was a person, you would get a restraining order. Um, I think one of the ultimate signs of the danger that smartphones pose is that the people who design them would now do anything to keep them out of the hands of their children. Um, the ultimate Silicon Valley status symbol these days is a tech-free childhood. This is um, a person who works at Mark Zuckerberg's foundation telling the New York Times, I am convinced that the devil lives in our phones and they are wreaking havoc on our children's lives. That was Lauren Collins speaking at Mew Mew Musings in June. She went on to explore the effects phones are having on our bodies and mental health. Phones take up all our time, they're also destroying our health. Um, Unsurprisingly to anyone who's ever used one, according to researchers, our phones act on our brains in a similar way to opioids, to actual drugs. I'm here to tell you that there's now a health problem called text neck, so-called because of the 60 pounds of pressure that you're putting on your spine every time you hunch down over your phone. The four to five hours we spend each day on our phones is changing our brains, distracting from meaningful thought and rest, and leading us toward consumerism, anxiety, depression, and memory loss. Um, Something I found fascinating is you don't even have to use the phone for it to have unpleasant effects on your life. Researchers found that if you just put a phone on the dinner table, it leads to lower quality conversation. That was how people rated their conversations after having dinner with a friend with a phone just sitting there. The irony of social media's promise and of smartphones' promises of greater connectedness is that they actually result in social isolation and poor mental health. There's also a dystopian angle to our smartphones. The business model for smartphones is surveillance-based, therefore fundamentally undermining our privacy and free will. Did you know that apps can send screenshots and videos of your screen to third parties? Did you know that using geolocation technology, apps can see where you've been and when and for how long and then sell that information to people? Um, There was a story in the New York Times recently where reporters using a public commercial database were able to track a person from his or her home in Newark, New Jersey to a Planned Parenthood clinic in New Jersey and to see that he or she stayed there for about an hour and then left. Um, and the Times reporters could tell, could tell exactly who this was. They were able to find the person's name. And so um, there are really privacy issues that, that chill me <laughs> to the bone with phones. Um, we can't count on phone manufacturers to keep us safe, healthy, or happy. They noticed that people were unhappy with the amount of, of time they were spending on their phones. So what did they do? They made smaller phones tiny little ones that we can put in our pockets that are, I quote, meant to give us a break from our main devices. I'll read you some of the ad copy. Palm is small enough to slide into your coin pocket or even your wallet. Slip it into your yoga pants for a run without carrying your phone in your hand. This is basically the Oxycontin of handheld electronics. So how do you do it if you do want to break up with your phone? How do you actually do it? Um, A woman called Catherine Price wrote a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone when she realized that she had had a baby and her baby was staring at her and she was staring at her screen. Price recommends that you turn off notifications, that you rearrange your home screen so that it only has like really the most boring stuff on it, the basic apps, no email, no social media. 
There is something called a Facebook demetricator, which hides the metrics. Um, so that in instead of seeing, you know, 37 people liked your post, you'll just see that some people liked it. And that helps to interrupt the dopamine feedback loop um, that's racing ever faster and faster with every hit that you get. And um, finally, Price recommends simply get an alarm clock. The great thing about breaking up with your phone is that you can sleep. Now, perhaps this is easier said than done. Price's seven-day breakup challenge, after all, consists of a series of daily email reminders. Um, and I wonder how many people are checking them on their desktops. So <laughs> not to be too law and order here, but I feel like I need to issue some jury instructions. This isn't a call to break up with the internet and its wonder. It's not a call to not use WhatsApp, to never go on Instagram again, um, to not Google you know, the strange thing that you can't remember or want to know more about. We are talking very specifically about smartphones here. And what I'm asking you to accept is that your smartphone is not your lover or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or even a friend with benefits. It is your horrible boss, <laughs> but only if you let it be. As price counsels, don't think of it as spending less time on your phone. Think of it as spending more time on your life. And if you're interested in doing that, even just a little bit, if you think it would be a good thing for your brain and your neck um, and for society, then I urge you to vote yes to the motion. Thank you. That was Lauren Collins speaking at the Mew Mew Musings in June 2019, making a thrilling case for the motion. After guests had digested the facts over their starter course, it was time for me to call the design critic and author Alice Rothorn to speak against the motion. It's time to break up with our phones. Well, thank you, Penny. It's lovely to be here, and I now face the formidable task of responding to Lauren's brilliant list of absolutely horrible reasons why we should have nothing ever to do with cell phones, smartphones, mobiles, whatever, ever again. Um, so I am going to take the motion, literally, that we are voting on whether we break up with our phones. Um, so I want you to imagine what you do without them. Say you turn up at the airport one morning, you've got a work trip, a day trip to Milan, and suddenly you realise that you've forgotten your phone. What difference would it make to your day? Now, first of all, you'd have to waste a lot of time queuing to check in again to try and get a boarding pass, because obviously you wouldn't have the digital one. And if you were lucky, you'd have just enough time to rush and get your flight. If you're not, you'd miss it, so chaos and catastrophe all round. Maybe if you did get your flight, you'd start to feel quite cheerful. You'd think, well, it might be great to spend 24 hours without this surge of emails, texts, calls, and so on bombarding towards me. But pretty quickly, I think you'd start worrying. Maybe a colleague needed to contact you about an urgent issue at work, your mum, your dad, your partner, maybe even a tearful child. And of course you would soon realise that you would spend the whole of the next day, if not the next week, replying to all those messages you'd missed the day before and were still mopping up all the messes that had been created because you'd been incommunicado. You wouldn't be able to check the weather forecast, you wouldn't be able to order anything online, you wouldn't have a digital map to tell you where you're going in 
Milan, you wouldn't even have your contacts, so there'd be no point in even going to a phone booth or trying to use someone else's phone, unless, of course, you've memorised all the emails and phone numbers in them, which I definitely haven't. Um, there are so many things that you wouldn't be able to do. You wouldn't have digital maps, you wouldn't be able to call a cab on my taxi, and so on and so forth. And of course, you would be excluded from social media for the day. And that is the practical argument which means you should reject the motion to break up with our phones because we simply cannot lead a modern life, certainly not in a fully functional way, without them because they're so embedded in so many different aspects of everything we do every day. But I'm not simply suggesting that you should vote no to avoid negativity because for all the problems they cause, and they are many, but I'll come on to those later, um, our phones do empower us and enrich our lives in many, many different ways. Um, for starters, they embed us in modernity. Almost without knowing, we've become brilliant change managers in recent years because we've had to adapt, whether we like it or not, to a stream of new technologies that have streamed towards us in succession. Learning how to use new products, new networks, new systems, always irritating at the time, but it's made us much more adaptable in many other areas of our lives too. And phones also have so much more to offer us. That little sliver of metal, glass and plastic is a modern miracle, even if it does have conflict minerals in it. I can hardly deny that. It has more computing power than a great big bulldozer, and more even than the whole of NASA when it was launched, though that was in 1958. Um, so it's because of that that we can now defy the constraints of time and geography. We can head off casually on a day trip to Milan knowing we've got the equivalent of a mobile office tucked away in our pockets that makes us much more efficient, functional and the trip more enjoyable once we're there. But phones can also bring us joy. As a random example, a couple of weeks ago I was in Paris and noticed an elderly man who was sitting opposite me on the metro starting to FaceTime. Now, once I'd sort of looked and heard him for a while, I assumed he was Turkish, speaking to a son or daughter or possibly a grandchild and that he hadn't seen them for some time. So the face came up on the screen and he could see the guy beaming with happiness and then tears, I'm not kidding, rolled down his cheeks as the call went on. And of course it's not surprising because if you're speaking to someone you love and you can actually see their face, it's so much more meaningful than it would be particularly if they're so far away from you. Alice Rothorn presenting against the motion. She proceeded to focus on the contentious matter of security. Phones also make us safer and more secure. So whether it's something as boring as your car breaking down in the middle of nowhere and you being able to call the AA immediately rather than trekking for miles and failing to find a functioning call box, generally in bad weather, which was exactly what we had to do in the bad old days, your phone really springs to the rescue then. Or you can think of the Japanese women who for years have been absolutely powerless to stop men groping them routinely and at random on the Tokyo subway. They now are issued with anti-groping apps, apparently that is the translatable term in Japan, which activate an alarm, so if they're groped, the alarm goes off. Hopefully it shames the groper into fleeing and certainly into stopping, and it alerts other passengers so they can come to help them. 
Our phones also embed us in modern life by enabling us to adapt to all the new technologies I've spoken about. We would be much more Luddite, much more anachronistic without them. But they also are forces for social good. So if you think in terms of the environmental benefits of phones, it stands to reason that conflict minerals apart, if you have one small physical thing that enables you not to need the dozens, if not hundreds, of other objects you'd need if you didn't have that phone, everything from a camera, a barometer, a phone directory, an encyclopedia, an old-fashioned ring-dial phone, and so on, it's obviously much more sustainable. And because the phone industry is so enormous and it's such a profitable global market, that brings other advantages too, because there's so much investment in the R&D of the technology that goes into phones. So for example, the only reason why we can now produce batteries that are small, light, yet powerful enough to drive electric vehicles and save so much fossil fuel over the years is because of the capital expenditure on R&D for mobile phone batteries. Um, they've had such a huge impact. Phones are also important catalysts for social and economic progress, particularly in the developing world. So in many parts of Africa, more people now have access to a reliable cellular network than to clean running water. Of course, they should all have access to both. But because of the expansion of those cellular networks, it's been possible for an amazing new generation of African designers to develop handheld devices, generally adapted smartphones, that can do things like be diagnostic devices that can track heart and eye problems, which has already improved the healthcare for millions of people living in remote rural areas who didn't previously have access to that sort of support. Why would we risk imperiling all of that, particularly as we don't need to? Because, of course, phones aren't perfect. There are many, many reasons why they're not. And all of the problems that Lauren talked about are absolutely real and shocking in many cases with serious consequences. But that isn't the fault of the phone. It's our fault. A phone is like any other form of technology. It's a tool. It's up to the user to decide how to use it, to make the most of its benefits, and to avoid its dangers and pitfalls. So I would urge you to vote against the motion and um, also end by drawing a final comparison. Although I hate even having to mention the B word, I think there is a direct allusion to Brexit here. Because, um, of course, the European Union is imperfect, but by voting to leave, i.e. to break up from our phones, we're self-destructively imperiling all of us, and entirely pointlessly, because you do, of course, have the option to vote to keep our phones by voting no. Thank you. Alice Rosthorn giving a convincing riposte to the motion it's time to break up with our phones at the Mew Mew Musings lunch debate in June 2019. Once the main course was served, there was a chance for Mew Mew Musings guests to air their opinions as we opened up to a free-flowing debate from the floor. I started by querying Alice Rosthorn's love of maps on phones, while the designer Bella Freud was quick to follow up with a point on phone addiction. 
It should be noted here that not all guests announce themselves by their full names, so there's a full list of guests on the Mew Mew Musings webpage, where you can also find further reading on the debate topic recommended by the speakers. On the no paddle, or voting block, if you want to call it, one of the questions you make is that, um, or, or points that you make is that with the aid of a mobile phone, um, a geography is kind of eased. But that's one of the issues that some people have brought up about a mobile phone, haven't they? That um, I think it's um, Adam Greenfield, who's your recommended reading also on the uh, voting paddle, who says we all end up with um, a customised uh, map. Not all of, what, all of us see the same Google Maps. Uh, and uh, the more that we feed it with the behaviour of our travelling around or uh, visiting shops, etc., the more it becomes more specific to us and lures us into further consumerism and uh, distracts us from kind of common experience and, I suppose, free will. What do you say to that? Okay, that's why I don't use Google Maps. I have a really good sense of direction. So one of my super Luddite characteristics is I never use sat-nav in a car. And I don't use Google Maps unless I'm absolutely lost, which, because I don't use them, I am from time to time. So that's only in an emergency. Because, for example, I used to be great at mental arithmetic at school. I'm completely crap after years of using calculators. Mm -hmm. So I thought my sense of direction, should I suddenly be abandoned in the middle of the desert and have to find my way back or on the top of a mountain or whatever, I wanted to preserve it. So I took the decision years ago. I wasn't going to use geographic aids. So that's what I mean by it's our fault if we allow, not our phones per se, but the technologies they pump towards us to sort of overwhelm us or distort our lives. You can take rational decisions to contain them. I mean, I'm sure all of you do similar, slightly bonkers, counterintuitive things in terms of managing your use of technology, and it's up to all of us to make our own choices. When you say that, it's up to us, but if you introduce a very addictive substance, whether it's a phone or a substance, then it's different, isn't it? Because it's not up to us, because we're being addicted, and, and our choice is suddenly no longer our choice, because we're being we've been hijacked and abducted, so um, what do you say to that? Well, that's a very complex point about the psychology of addiction and also the morality and politics of addiction. And I would say a difference is that if you're relating it to opioids and addictive substances, which are generally prescribed to people by so-called experts, given to them when they're in a very vulnerable state, they're ill or deeply anxious or depressed, so they feel they need them, that you can see how addiction can evolve. But most of the functions that the squillions of apps we can download onto our phones actually execute are things we already do, don't need to do. There are other ways of doing. So I think think it's much easier to avoid becoming addicted because you have many other clear choices from the beginning. So I don't think the analogy is entirely apt. Well, let me hand over to Anastasia because I know that this is your particular um, uh, hobby horse because you know writers like Tristan Harris are saying that these phones are being designed literally like uh, uh, Tristan Harris, who was previously at Google, I think he was a, a was he a design no, philosopher? Design. I think. No, he was a uh, and he uh, defected a bit like yourself and says that 
the phones and their functionality is in fact like a slot machine and it's uh, it's variable return like checking your email maybe there'll be new Instagram pictures maybe there won't is akin to pulling the lever on a slot machine in Vegas but not necessarily even checking whether you made the money those people that go along the lines and that that in itself is the fourth most or four times as addictive a, a uh, type of gambling as any other. So in fact, we've got this device reaping all this information about us. That's uh, many. There are many uh, technologists behind it trying to keep us uh, using it so that they can get our facial recognition and they can get all that information. Is that something that y you you agree with? Um, so there are a couple of points. There is a difference between bad, bad, bad habits and addiction. So if we're talking about addiction in a medical sense. Uh, there is so-called gaming addiction that's now recognized by uh, the World Health Organization. Internet addiction is not officially recognized, but because it's very difficult to measure it, what is it? You know, like spending three hours a day, is it a sign and not actually screen time is not a sign of addiction. What addiction is in the medical term is when you start planning your life around it. So if there is something that's central, and is you know like when I come to the airport and I have not have my phone, my life is finished. I'm sorry, <laughs> but this is when we're talking about addiction. What most of us have though is uh, like the bad habits, and the bad habits unfortunately are more or less induced by this addictive design. Um, and it's all based actually on the theories of behaviorism. You might have heard of B. F. Skinner. So he was in the early 20th century, uh, an American-based psychologist, and he did different experiments with birds, with animals. So in one of his experiments, he put a pigeon in a box, and the box was equipped with a button. So a special mechanism released food every time the pigeon would pack the button. So the pigeon very quickly learned that all it needed to do when it was hungry was to pack a button. What did the pigeon do when it was not hungry? Nothing, because it was not hungry. Up until Skinner decided to change the conditions of the experiment, and he said, what well, if I don't reward the pigeon every time? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. What happened to the pigeon? Did it start making more or less? More. So one pigeon packed 87,000 times over the duration of 14 hours. And the important thing was only rewarded in 1% of the occasions. So now if I ask you what does it have to do with what we're talking about today, well actually Skinner's work is the foundation of how modern apps and devices are designed. So if anyone ever found themselves posting a picture on uh, Instagram and Facebook and then going back to it and checking every oh, time, never, how many never. This is your body wanting, your brain wanting this variable reward. Yeah? So unfortunately, this is a business model behind it that just prompts you to go back to it. Whether it converts into the true addiction or not is a different question, but I would rather spend my time on something very, very useful and it makes me happy rather than inducing this artificial uh, dopamine serotonin into my brain. Thank you. Um, Lauren, one of the things that comes up in your recommended reading uh, on our voting blocks, the Kevin Roos piece, the New York Times piece, is this idea that um, phone avoidance could become, become sort of commodified in itself. And if you're starting to get digital detox programs as offered by hotels, etc., that in fact, in a way, this whole culture of us kind of encouraging people to, to detox is already a, a, a commercial entity. and. Um, just being generated by the devices. Is that a reasonable argument against your, your stance? I don't think so. I mean, I was thinking after I listened to Alice's extremely persuasive 
argument, um, and you may have even persuaded me, but I think, <laughs> I think one thing that's wrong with it is, you know how in America we have the National Rifle Association, and what they're always telling us about guns is guns don't kill people, people kill people. And I feel like Alice is kind of telling us phones don't mess up people's lives and brains, people mess up people's lives and brains, but I think, I think phones are this extremely powerful tool and substance. And where I'm going to answer your question, Penny, is you know, maybe we need a little bit more guidance in some way or regulation or I don't know what, but we were sitting around our table and we were all kind of saying, isn't it great to go on a long flight? You're relieved when someone takes the phone <laughs> away from you. Um, but anyway, I mean, I, I think maybe this is like a phenomenon that's a little bit more powerful than each individual one of us is. And um, I mean, another thing we were talking about is we were likening it also to this sort of ecological crisis. And phones are not great for the environment either. I mean, um, you shared with me the fact that 20 only 20% of phones are recycled. And of that 20%, like, those are just the phones that people say are recycled. Of those, many of them are not recycled, just the very precious metal is extracted. I mean, they're also a disaster. But I think the, the um, analogy is that it's hard for, you know, any one of us to really manage and regulate this problem. Um, I think we have to think about what kind of society we want and, and find ways to get there, whether um, you know it's regulating Facebook in a way. I mean, you log into Facebook, and just from logging in, not doing anything else, Facebook harvests 60 different pieces of 60 different data about you. And that's legal. We've all agreed to it, but maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe that's not what you know, the, the society we want to live in. And if that touches you, I really recommend you to listen to the um, podcast, which is part of uh, uh, Lauren's recommended reading on the Yes Paddle, which was recommended to us by Zadie Smith. Um, and it's a woman called uh, Roshana um, Zuboff, I hope I've got her name correct, about surveillance capitalism. And it's amazingly interesting on that particular point. Can I just stay with that point? Um, because one of the things that Tristan Harris says, and um, people like um, Catherine Price and um, uh, Catherine Omerard about their sort of demonization of social media, is that we all give this reason about it being professionally necessary. Um, uh, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, I wanted to turn it around to those people for whom it actually is your business. You know, Susie, um, uh, Veronica, uh, Laura, you know, do you feel like this kind of increasing kind of popularization of kind of phone demonization is in fact an attack on your livelihoods. Susie. Some of you have read that Instagram are trialing no likes in Canada. Um, it may or may not roll out. I mean, we're talking about like probably two or three years here. And that is like totally like an interesting way of getting Instagram back to its roots, which was uh, supposed to be an inspiration platform, how Kevin Sister designed it was, you know, it was supposed to be this platform just to look at great content, inspiring content. So I think I'm for what Alice closed with, which is reform, radical reform of apps. And actually, a bigger idea is a decentralized internet, an internet that isn't controlled by, um, you know, the big tech companies. I don't know if anyone has ever watched Silicon Valley. It's a HBO show that sort of pokes fun at the, the tech world. 
but it, it, it actually at the center of it has a really great idea, which is an internet um, that is radically different from the one we know. And it does exist in like, you know, underground pockets, but that idea can be expanded to mainstream use. And what, you know, we can control, take back control of the internet. It is completely possible. You can go off the grid and you don't have to have your data like farmed out and your information like out there. I, I, I see a sort of like radical shift of like how apps work currently, you know. So I, contrary to popular belief, even though I'm an Instagram person, I also did exist before Instagram, you know, I wasn't just an entity that popped up out of a social media platform. You know, that is like the evolution of tech. One platform will come up and then it will go down, it comes in peaks and troughs. I see, you know, like a, a, a kind of radical shift somewhere down the line. Thank you, Susie. Well, look, I think this conversation could run and run. And so I am going to release Lauren Collins and Alice Rossthorn um, and let you know that we're going to let you ponder those thoughts. They're going to serve your desserts. You're not going to eat them quite yet um, <laughs> because we're going to take a vote um, and uh, hear exactly what you've decided uh, on the yes or no uh, on whether it's time to break up with our phones. Thank you. With the motion thoroughly interrogated and debated, it was finally time to put it to a vote. Can I ask all guests in favour of the motion, this House believes it is time to break up with our phones to raise their yes block high. I know some of you are voting in proxy too, so high, high, high in the sky. So let me see. Is that ten? Ten. Um, and now... Can I please ask all guests not in favour of breaking up with their phones to raise their no block? Wow. Uh, on the final count, we make that 10 yeses, 19 noes. So the noes have it. It is my duty to inform the House that the motion is denied. This House is not in favour of breaking up with their phones. We're super grateful for your attention, your patience, your generous participation, and of course, grateful to our excellent speakers, Lauren Collins. <laughs> and Alice Rostrom. Of course, many of the guests were more forthcoming with their views on phones in private when they were leaving the restaurant as these interviews conducted by Daniel Rudeutchen of Mew Mew Musings prove. The news broadcaster and writer Kirsty Wark voted no, we should not break up with our phones, but she could see both sides of the argument. Several things that I think are problematic about phones, and that is knowing the world around you. You know, I know lots and lots of people who work out how to get from A to B on Google, but actually don't know the contours of the country, don't know which is the west side of the town and the east side of the town. Doesn't, you know, they don't know where the nearest hillside is because they don't actually look at a map. I think everybody should know, I look at maps, I love maps, I use maps all the time and I do not like sat-nav. So that's one downside and I think it does, it, you, you, you just don't take as much care of the world around you. You just don't know your surroundings to the same extent and I think that's problematic if ever those networks go down. I think you've got to be able to be in control when the network goes down. Uh, so Google Maps, not a good idea. 
For how long could you go without checking your phone? I check my phone every hour. There's no doubt about that. And I need my phone. But I think, you know, you think about the Arab Spring. A lot of the people that came together in the Arab Spring came because of mobile technology, allowing them to know when to come together. If you think about uh, developments in a war zone, a wonderful doctor in London, David Knott, is able to conduct operations on FaceTime in an underground bunker with doctors in Aleppo. You can't go backwards. You know, phones are wonderful, wonderful things. We need to be connected. Russell Tovey, which motion did you vote for? I voted uh, for Alice. I voted no, uh, don't give up your phone. I was torn. I, I mean, I do, I would love to give up my phone. I would love a digital detox. I think there's nothing healthier than putting your phone away. But when we were talking, when they were up there and the motions were in place and the, the debates were going, I just wanted to check my phone. <laughs> so I know, I know I'm, an ad, I'm an addict. I'm addicted to my phone, as we all are. And that bit about how the, the developers are de designing phones so that you get addicted to it, you hear that, and I nod along and I go, yeah, it's worked, <laughs> but I don't do anything about it. These, you use your phone so much. I mean, everybody uses their phone, but a lot as an actor, I get my sides, my scripts come through on my phone, and I read it straight away. It's, it's an instant thing. Who really has a laptop anymore when they have their phone? Jen and Kiro. What's the most annoying thing people do on their phone? Check it when you're having a conversation. Like, I really despise, like, particularly when, and my dad does it now, when I, I mean, we don't get to see as much as we used to. And so it kind of frustrates me that, like, I kind of sometimes a phone can take the position of, like, an interrupter, you know? Like, you're ha you think you're having an engaging, deep conversation with someone, but they're mind is kind of like then becomes focused on like the content of their phone and it it affects relationships you know peter york phones are bad for you and good for you and who knows where to put the blame when you're uh, sitting next to somebody on the tube and uh, this is just me and you're looking at what they're doing and they do uh, doing things so palpably idiotic for grown people it isn't even it isn't even kind of kitsch it's just you want to say you, you know, wake up don't look at that stuff Dina Asher Smith and when you've got a device that can replace ultimately what I see is the most important thing your physical well-being and your health I have to vote that it's time to break up with it because <laughs> it's not great <laughs> I think the most annoying thing that people do with their phone is filming people without their consent. It irritates me when I see people either filming stuff and not intervening on something that's problematic or filming somebody without their consent because I think that's a really big invasion of privacy. Thank you. That was the sprinter Dina Asher-Smith talking with Mew Mew Musings' Daniel Rodeutchen after the lunch debate in June 2019. Next time on Mew Mew Musings, we're going to tackle a different but related subject, that of picture fatigue, with the debate motion, This House Believes We Need to Stop Taking Photographs. Speaking in Favour is a powerhouse of debate and dialogue, the writer, broadcaster and tech dynamo Amina Soul. Speaking Against is the go-to opinion on photographic culture, the writer, curator and editor Charlotte Cotton, in what promises to be a rip-roaring battle of wits. So join us next time on Mew Mew Musings for more fun facts and ferocious discussion. Mew Mew Musings is a co-production between Mew Mew Podcasts, 
Penny Martin and in Talks With Productions. Our theme music was created by Frederick Sanchez and our graphic identity was created by Studio Veronica Ditting. The Mew Mew Musings team includes Daniel Redeutschen, Warren Borg, Trisha Ward and Richard O'Mani. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it, leave a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to find out more about Mew Mew Musings, please head to mewmew.com. And if you'd like to join the conversation on social media, search for at Mew Mew or the hashtag Mew Mew Musings. Mm-hmm.